Hey, it's Michael, and welcome to another podcast episode. Before I get into today's episode, we wanted to make an offer to you. If you go to firmsconsulting.com, you will see a pop-up or you'll see a place to add in your email address or you can register on the Firms Consulting website. If you register onto that website, you get put into an exclusive list. And what you get in that exclusive list is samples of the content we have available to FC Insiders. So that said, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey, Christina, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me join you. Now, I must say I'm a world expert in burnout because I've been burnt out so many times in my life during my career <laughs> that I actually have a fire extinguisher in my office. <laughs> you can't see that, but there's a fire extinguisher in my office. So when okay. I read your work, the one thing I want to say, when I say this, I'm going to preface it by saying that it sounds like an insult, but it's not an insult. And I'm going to explain why it's not an insult. When I read your work, what you say is so obvious. Mm. But it took me 20 years to realize that. <laughs> because it's so obvious that if you're doing things that are not aligned with what you want to do, you're going to suffer with burnout. Right. But throughout my entire career, I never really realized it. And I would say only in the last year and a half, I had this realization. Hold on a second. Maybe I'm doing the wrong things. So as a starting point, how did you arrive at this conclusion? which took me 20 years to arrive. 20 years. Okay. <laughs> well, um, the, uh, the, the conclusion has been sort of becoming evident throughout more than 20 years, more like 40 years uh, of work and research on oh, this So phenomenon. I was faster. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess what is interesting to me about this is that what you just said is sort of one of the main challenges that uh, my my colleagues and I face, yes. which is that the research data is pointing pretty strongly to the conclusion that it matters a lot what is happening in your environment. It's not just you alone. It's really yes. that relationship between the two. Uh, and it's been a, a, a not an easy message for people to hear or to respond to. It's called, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, but we're going to just tell people that, you know, they need to take a break, yes. you know, from work, uh, do some more, you know, meditation, and, you know, maybe they need to get some counseling from a psychiatrist, you know, that kind of thing. And yes. I'm saying, but that's focusing only on the individual person and not saying, why is this happening to this person? It's not what, you know, in other words, it's not who is burning out, but why they're burning out. And the the why question focuses on what's causing it, not just the effects, but you know what are the causes. If you just work on helping people cope with burnout and you know the kind of stress they have at work, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, help people feel better and man, you know, can they can they be stronger and more thoughtful about what they're doing or whatever? But it leaves out the whole uh, other part of the relationship, which is what are those job conditions or, you know, yes. what is going on in your life that is actually putting you in the kind of bind where you are unable to recover from trying to respond to these chronic stressors that are not well managed. Um, and so the, the, the positive message in there is they could be better managed. We could do better things in terms of both the job and the person and the kind of better fit, the better match between those two so that people can thrive rather than get beaten down. Yeah, I was thinking about this because I thought it's important the audience understands the concept you've well articulated. 
And the analogy that came to mind for me is, imagine I'm working in a chef's kitchen mm -hmm. and I'm holding a very hot plate that's burning my hand. And the HR department for the restaurant says, well, the solution to Michael burning his hand is to give him more painkillers. Right. But it doesn't fix the problem. My hand is still getting burned. And at some point, I'm not right. going to be able to handle it. And that's a little bit like the way we handle burnout today. Exactly. We yeah. try to give people painkillers because during COVID, there was this massive jump in the number of startups offering counseling and care to burned out workers, mm. but they never addressed the root cause. They always treated it like the worker was at fault and didn't have the right perspective and didn't mm. show appreciation and gratitude, but right. they did nothing to change the environment. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, a, that's an excellent point. And in fact, one of the mantras, I used to hear a lot of them, I still hear some, but one of the mantras I used to hear a lot before COVID was, the job is what it is. Yes. Uh, and what that means is, okay, so maybe there is a bad fit between you and the job, you know? Well, honey, you're just going to have to figure out how to step up to the plate and work harder and, you know, make it, make it done. And, you know, maybe you need to get some help or advice or something like that, but you, it's just you, it's up to you. The job is what it is. It's like, it's, you know, uh, Mount Rushmore It's never going to change, you know, kind of rock of Gibraltar. No. And what, Actually, in some ways, if you think about it, is like uh, a silver lining uh, to to the pandemic. Not that I want to give it one, but it took that mantra and crushed it into the dust. Yes, jobs can change. They had to change. We couldn't do a lot of them the same way anymore. Uh, and some of the things that people came up with as a new way of doing the job worked well, some were okay, some were disastrous, but you learn from all of those, you know, the successes as well as the failures and say, how could we get the work that needs to be done, done in a different way, in a better way, in a way that, you know, uh, kind of takes into account where we are now and what we're dealing with. So I think people found out the job can be different. Maybe I don't have to commute to, you know, twice a day. Maybe I can find something else. Maybe we could, you know, so there's, it opens possibilities, you know, to think out of the box about what are the best ways of designing work environments so that you're getting good people to do good work and they're feeling good about it. Um, and, and so I think we, we learned a lot from the pandemic when we had to, on a moment's notice, you know, <laughs> Yes. Uh, shift to a different kind of uh, way in which the work got done. And I was just thinking about the cost to companies. I remember when I used to be a strategy partner, we hired this, well, I hired this brilliant young lady to join the firm as a management consultant, mm -hmm. but she didn't work with me immediately. I hired her and I thought she was amazing. And she started working on an operations strategy engagement. And I started getting this negative feedback about her that she just wasn't cutting it as a consultant. Mm -hmm. And then I remember speaking to the partners and saying, hold on a second, we hired her as a corporate strategy consultant, which is very different from operation strategy. The problem we have here is that we're putting her into work that she's not equipped to do. All right. If we move her into corporate strategy, just give her a chance. I'm sure she'll do very well. That lady became one of the best strategy thinkers in the history wow. of the world. Okay. And okay. I'm just thinking, imagine if we spent, a, I think her salary when we hired her was about 130000 we probably spend about 50000 to train in that one year, plus bonuses and so on. That's like a $200,000 investment. But imagine if nobody had moved there, we'd have lost $200,000. Mm -hmm. 
And this lady wouldn't have made the contribution she ended up making to the world. Right, right. No, that's that's a that's a great example, and I've I've seen it happen in, in a number of different places. The story might be a little different than what exactly yes. what you described, but you know I've seen people put in positions. They say we need someone to do this. This guy is smart. Let's put him in there, and it was a disaster because, you know, here's somebody who cannot deal with angry people yelling at the tech guy yes. about you know, da da da. But when he works as a consultant with people around, you know, their website and stuff, they love him because he is he works very well in those conditions. So, yeah, putting him in the right place in a sense that uh, takes advantage of, you know, that person's uh, abilities and yes. capabilities and, and way in which they can grow in that and what they bring and contribute rather than for forcing them into something that is not going to work well. You know, uh, it's not that people can't learn new things, but you need to sort of figure out how how can we take advantage of what, essentially, as you're pointing out, the investment we put in these people, and you really want a great return on that investment that they they step up to the plate, they do it well, they do even better than well. They maybe you know do some new things that really uh, add you know to the the whole value of what's going on in your organization. And what I've seen is, and I don't know if you've seen this in your research, and maybe you want to elaborate on this, but in discussions I've had when I was working as a senior partner and when I work with clients today, there does seem to be some element in management of thinking that, well, we went through this. Mm. So new employees need to go through it as well. It's part of the process. Right. So yeah. it's almost as if the pain is a rite of passage. Do you, do you find that in your research yes. as well? Yeah, <laughs> I've seen that. It takes different forms. I don't know how common it is now that as when I was first doing work on it. Yes. Um, but that was a, a common, common thing uh, in, in different places. And there was a, a sense that, yeah, you have to go through the pain of this reality because we did it. And, you know, and somehow I have to say, I think I got better because of it. Well, we don't know that that's true. That's a yes. justification. Okay, I got through. But for example, um, uh, what was the name? I think there was a book like ah, 30, 40 years ago on nursing, you know, in medical profession called Reality Shock. Yeah. And that was the reality shock you're talking about, you know, when you first lose a patient, when you, um, uh, you know, something, you know, all the things that can go wrong and do go wrong. And it may not be because it's your fault. It's because that happens. Not everybody, you know, survives the surgery or, you know, et cetera. Um, and the interesting thing to me was that even though people who've gone through this have learned from it and have figured out ways to talk about it, to deal with it, to cope with it, have, you know, there's this thing about, well, why not share that with the next generation that's coming up right behind you? Yes. What, what is really, they have to go through it like that. Why couldn't they get some coaching from you, some mentoring from you that says, yeah, there's going to be some really tough times, but here's some of the things you need to look for, or hopefully this will help or, you know, come see me when you need to at some point. And maybe we can, we can, we can talk a little bit about it. So, I mean, a whole different attitude about, there can be some difficult points in the reality of the job, but it's so anti-education, so anti-support for people like yourself yes. who are going to be following in your footsteps. Why would you not do that? I mean, as opposed to saying, no, I'm not going to tell you anything about it. You're going to stumble and fall and have pain and, you know, see if you can pick yourself up. 
it's, yes. it's, it's a strange for me um, attitude that really doesn't say, how do we take what we know and get better at this? Uh, we lose too many good people for things that they shouldn't have to leave for because they've got all this other stuff that they can bring and really be good for the job. I, I mean, I've seen people who are excellent teachers and, you know, the ones that parents want their kids to be in her class, you know, or his class. Yeah. Um, and, and it gets to the point where they said, I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm out of here. This is, this is crazy. You know, what, uh, what I have to do. It's not about teaching with the kids. It's about all this other stuff. And, um, you know, that's the collateral damage of burnout is that it often, you know, takes out people who could have done well and better and lasted longer and actually then be the people to help the next, you know, newcomers coming in, you know, on how to do this. Um, so I, you know, you've raised an excellent point and I, I just don't know how much it still happens, but it doesn't seem to me that putting people through the worst is a strategy to, uh, invest in. I mean, it's one thing to say people sometimes have bad experiences in life. You know, you can't help it. It just happens. Um, and how do they cope? And they come through it saying, I'm a better person because I lost my parents and the war in Vietnam, da, 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 you know, kind of thing. Um, yes. You want to help people be able to recover, to cope, to learn, to move on into a, a better life, not get stuck in the past. But that doesn't mean everybody should have to go through that trauma in order to be a good worker. No, that's you know very well saying? said. Yeah. You've articulated that well. I had a conversation recently with one of my neighbors who owns a chain of hospitals. Mm-hmm. And he took great pride in the fact that he's, uh, I can't remember the term for new doctors. I think they, they serve residency or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And he was telling me how they'd like to work them like 28 hours oh. in a row. I mean, I don't want to comment on how he runs his hospitals because I'm sure he does a good job. But the thing that was interesting to me is when I was looking through his numbers because he wanted me to help him with investments, they had baked into their budget the fact that they would work their doctors 28 hours a day so Mm -hmm. that they had almost institutionalized this pain. Right. And the way their budgets were set up that even if they had realized that it's not helpful to do this, they didn't have the financial resources to bring in more doctors. Mm. And what was interesting to me is that, you know, we talk about burnout and so on, but sometimes we set up processes within the company and our budgeting whereby we can't break out of the cycle. We're forced to punish people even when we know it's wrong. Right, right. Or we justify it as saying it's good for them. It's part of their... I I personally can't see how it can be good for a doctor to be working 28 hours when he could potentially be dealing with, he or she could be dealing with life or death situations. I know. And you're not thinking straight and you're going to miss things and you're going to make mistakes. And I mean, you know, the human body and doctors should know this is not designed to go that kind of distance. I mean, uh, burnout as opposed to, you know, it's a stress response, you know, response to stressors, but one of the, the core aspects of it is that it's usually a response to chronic job stressors that have yes. not been well managed. And when it's chronic, it means these are high frequency. They happen most of the time, if not all of the time. You do not, we know from all kind of research on stress and coping in any area of life, that people do not recover well from chronic stressors. 
that don't go away, that don't change, that don't get modified. And if you cope, it, it isn't like it gets better. They're just yes. the pebbles in your shoe that are constantly driving you crazy and getting, you know, posing obstacles and making it difficult and painful and whatever. Um, and and so in some sense, if you're talking about people's well-being, whether it's in the workplace or in your family life or whatever, there has to be a regular cycle of activity and work but of rest and sleep and recovery and a personal side of your life. I mean, you know, eight hours sleep, eight hours work, eight hours personal, whatever that involves, um, is kind of the, you know, a healthier way of thinking about what people need. Now, can sometimes people, uh, you know, rise to an occasion when there's a particularly emergency thing and have to put in more hours and make changes in that? Yeah, but that should not be the regular yes. expected routine it shouldn't be the normal it shouldn't procedure. be the norm because it's going i mean what happens with stress and then coping and people being unable to cope and recover is that it causes problems down the road in terms of their physical and cognitive and mental well-being they will have heart attacks earlier on they will have muscular skeletal problems earlier on uh it'll add to the medical costs you know uh, uh of health care of, of workers they will quit earlier or have to go on disability leave they you know they will get depressed and anxious they're not going to be doing a a good job and so you know just working people as hard as you possibly can is not smart you know it's, yes um, they have to work smarter not just harder well let's switch gears a little bit to looking at how to address this right Right. So recently, I'll give an example of this. One of the challenges I think we would, we would experience in taking some of your good thinking and applying it to the workplace, and maybe you can talk about how to overcome those challenges. I recently spent time at one of the companies we invested in. And I remember we hired this really sweet, amazing, friendly, talented, this lady just lights up the room when she arrives there. Mm -hmm. So I spent time in one of these businesses, and I noticed this lady was really not in a good place. She was always anxious. People told me she was suffering from nightmares. She was really struggling oh. through work. And I was trying to figure out, you know, what was going on with this lady? And I spent time with her, talking to her many times about it. We could never pinpoint what it is. She would always tell me she had too much to do. So we started taking off things off her plate, but she still started deteriorating, whereby she started developing ticks on her face, and it was oh. not a pleasant experience. But then I said, let's spend a day with this lady. Someone needs to follow this lady and see ah. what she's doing. And then we identified the problem. She was handling customer support emails. And some of the things people would tell her, she couldn't handle it because she's not the kind of person who can separate things. Mm. And when we took her away from customer support where she had no interaction with customers, things dramatically changed. Her performance improved. In fact, in that business, a new line of business she started when we changed the role led to a 50% increase in profits in that business. Wow. <laughs> and it was such a simple thing. She is such a kind lady that if someone tells her anything negative over email, she can't sleep. Yeah. The point I want to make here is that she couldn't tell us this was a problem. She didn't see it as a problem. She just thought, I was put to handle customer emails. I must handle it. If yeah. I can't handle it, it's not my fault. It's nobody's fault. I just need to deal with it. And the point here I want to raise, and maybe you can help the listeners through this, is that oftentimes people who are suffering from burnout don't know what's causing the problem. Yes, that's that's a good point. They may not know what is causing the problem. 
But I would add to that and say they may have some ideas what are causing the problem. But there is such a stigma still attached to I'm not 100 percent. I'm I'm not as strong or resilient as other people. Uh, What's you know, and people know and actually rightly so that raising these kind of issues like I'm, I'm having trouble with the job kind of thing is opening yourself up to oh, and well, maybe you're not worth investing in. Maybe you're not going to keep your job. Maybe you won't That's be able it, to be yes. promoted, you know, kind of. So people hush up and shut up because they are worried about that stigma. And, um, you know, and I've heard it in in different forms, you know, like even medical students yes. who say, oh, you know, send me emails or calls and say, Dr. Maslach, they make me take your burnout measure. And I just wanted yeah. you to know that we lie and don't answer correctly. And I said, oh, really? Tell me more about it. And they're going to say, because we know that if we really say how stressed we are by this ridiculously high patient load we're given, uh, we're not going to get the letter for the, the coveted internship. We're not going to get the, you know, the support. They're going to just tell us to see the psychiatrist and they're not going to fix the patient load. So why so why answer and say that, you know, and talk about those things? But it does lead them to feel that they are isolated, they're surrounded by people, but they don't know who to turn to for yes. advice. Or, I mean, people often talk about, I wish I had a safe harbor, a safe person, or people I could go to, a mentor that would make a difference, yes. you know, and wouldn't spill the beans, but would just be there to kind of get me kind of back on my feet and seeing things a little more clearly about what, I, you know, what to do. Um, so that I, I, I think is an important, uh, kind of point. The other thing though, that I want to mention, because I think it's another, uh, important issue that you've raised is what you've just described in that example, which was we walked around with her and followed her to see what her job was like. We used to talk about that years ago as, as walk around leadership. I don't know yes, if we have a I new term that. for it now, but it is one of the best things because often people are saying, my manager, the CEO, they really don't know what's going on and how, you know, and we then say we need X, you know, would really help us. And they're saying, sorry, we can't afford it. But they, if they knew, you know, and understood what we're going through, they might come up with some other ideas, you know, as to as how do we could do the job. But uh, the sense that they, they don't care about us, they don't really know what's going on. There's this gap between the leadership. We're filling out surveys all the time about engagement and burnout, whatever. And then nothing changes. Nobody says, we heard you. Okay, here's some issues that kept come up and, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, I just want to underscore that that notion of actually being visible, walking around, getting a sense of what's working, what's not working, worth its weight in gold. Yes. Well, the term for it now is day in the life of studies. But if you hear a funny story, over Christmas, I was not happy with my executive assistant's performance. I thought she was too slow at things. So I'm thinking, okay, why is this lady?